Welcome to This Academic Life, episode 36. This episode is sponsored by DeGrider and his portfolio in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. For students and researchers in mathematics, DeGrider's 2022 catalog is now available at thisacademiclife.org. If you're interested in being a sponsor, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Hi, my name is Lucy Zhang. I'm a professor of mechanical engineering. Hi, my name is Pani Anual. I'm also a professor of mechanical engineering. Hi, my name is Kim Michelle Lewis. I'm a professor of physics and associate dean of research. Today, we will discuss the notorious lecturer status. Some consider lecturers as an integral part of the academy. Lecturers most often engage in teaching large service courses in the department. Although most lecturers love teaching, they often lament some of their responsibilities, terms, or conditions of their lecturer status. On the other hand, there may be some advantages of being a lecturer, such as there may be opportunities that haven't been explored that could assist with professional development and move you into a more permanent position with a little bit of pushing and shoving. Today, we discuss aspects of the lecturer status with Dr. Alita M. Poe. Dr. Poe has a PhD in chemistry. Her expertise is in analytical chemistry and is currently an associate professor of instruction in the Department of Chemistry at the University of Louisville. I met Aletha when she was a postdoctoral researcher in the chemistry department with Dr. Isaiah Warner at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We were introduced by my postdoctoral advisor, Dr. Theta Daniels Race, in the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering at LSU. Once introduced, the rest was history, and we've been friends ever since 2004, almost 18 years. Alita, welcome to This Academic Life. Thank you. Thank you, Kim, for that wonderful introduction. Alita, please start by telling us a little bit about your career path in the Academy. I grew up in Mobile, Alabama, and I got my Bachelor of Science degree in chemistry from the University of South Alabama. That was a teaching institution in my town. So after college, my great plans were completely derailed. So I got an opportunity to travel the world actually for a year with the International Educational Group Up With People. So for a year, the year after I got my bachelor's, I traveled the world, I sang and danced with this musical group and performed a musical show in front of thousands of people. So it was really during that year that I decided to attend graduate school because I decided that, you know, while I love education and I just want to be able to go as far as I can. So after that amazing year, I attended American University in Washington, DC. And there I received my master's in chemistry and my doctorate in analytical chemistry. But while I was in graduate school, I crazily, I trained as a bodybuilder and I actually competed in a bodybuilding competition. So that was really out there for a graduate student to do, but I enjoyed it. 
was a really nice diversion during graduate school. So after I got my doctorate, I did a postdoc at Louisiana State University. And as Kim said before, that's where we met. And at the end of my postdoc, I was actually recruited to come to the University of Louisville. And actually I am the first black female faculty member in the chemistry department at the University of Louisville. So I'm a trailblazer. And as you know, that's, that's great, but it's also a little bit difficult, but it's great. I've been at the university for about 17 years now. Wow, Alita, that is really amazing. What a wonderful set of experiences. Let me just tell our listeners that when I met Alita and she told me that she was a bodybuilder, I felt like everywhere we went thereafter, people were staring and admiring her amazing physique. So, um, <laughs> so it was it was quite intimidating to be her friend. <laughs> but we had a, a great connection. Our experiences were very similar in terms of being black women in science, her in chemistry and me in physics. So we really had a great postdoc experience together. So it was definitely a memorable experience. And so I'm so happy that we've stayed connected and stayed friends. Yes. So I definitely want to jump right in it. So Alita, let us discuss this notorious lecture status. But first I want you to explain to the listeners what is the difference between a lecturer and a tenured or tenured track faculty member? Okay, so it seems that there's a really broad definition of lecturer. I'll start off with that status. So a lecturer can be part-time or full-time and the broad definition really depends on the institution. But generally, a lecturer is a person who teaches part-time or full-time at a college or university. And if they are teaching part-time, then they have a full-time career outside of the university where they're, where they're teaching. And in these cases, the lecturer brings career experience into the classroom. They may not have a doctorate degree, but they'll generally have a master's degree. Lecturers generally don't have to do any research. They only teach classes at the undergraduate level. They are not on a tenure track. They don't have ways to get promoted if they're a part-time lecturer. Full-time lecturers would have a doctorate degree and they would only teach in the field of their degree. They would not be responsible for any research and they would only teach classes generally at the undergraduate level. They may have service requirements at the university but they are not on tenure track and depending on the institution, there's no possibility for promotion. So at my institution, I'm considered a full-time lecturer and this position is called term faculty because we are contracted for specific terms, one, two, or three years. So then tenure track, if, if someone is on the tenure track, then this is their pathway to promotion and security, job security in academia. They are generally full-time faculty. They conduct research, they publish for the university, they teach and they perform service at the university. Now this tenure track period is really probationary and it's about six years. And this occurs before the person gets tenure. So once a person is tenured, then that means that they have a permanent job at that college or university. And tenure is like the coup de gras. That's what all academicians want 
to aspire to because this offers institutional rights and these institutional rights really provide academic freedom without the fear of that person losing their job. So this tenure is full time. They conduct research, they teach, and they give service to the institution. That's great, Alita. And by the way, I'm still awed by your life experience that you mentioned. So, Alita, I wanted to kind of mention this AAUP report that I read about last year, this time or so, and it talked about the percentage of non-tenure track or lecture positions in universities within the United States. And the percentage is really, really high. It's probably somewhere around 70, 75%. And based on the last past 10 years history, and that percentage is, keeps on increasing. And I'm not sure if that's a national trend or is that something you also observe at different institutions or the institutions that you're in? Yes, Lucy, thank you for that question. So yes, there is definitely a trend where the number of tenure track positions that universities and colleges are offering is decreasing. And this trend has been happening basically because it's cheaper. That's the bad thing about it. It's cheaper to hire many instructors to teach classes than it is to get a person on tenure track, offer them startup in the case of STEM fields. It's really expensive to do research in the science and technology fields. So to get a person, offer them a startup, that's a huge investment for the university. While I think it's a pretty good investment because the research that that person can do in the meantime could possibly be great and the university would get a very good return but it's becoming very much too expensive. The startup packages are escalating in terms of the amounts of them. And I believe that's one of the reasons that tenure track positions are, are decreasing. So what do you think are some of the misunderstandings among the two tracks of faculty? We're all faculty at the end, right? So one is teaching faculty, the other is teaching slash research faculty. So what do you think, are there any misunderstandings or misconcepts among the people from the two sides? Unfortunately, yes. Oh my goodness. Sometimes it seems that the instructors or the lecturers, people who are not on the tenure track or people who teach predominantly are not considered real faculty members. Now, this sentiment might not necessarily be overtly stated at colleges and institutions, but it seemingly is apparent at all levels of interaction and in many policies. So let me give an example, but what I'm about to say is the sentiment that I feel from these actions and policies. So this is kind of like in emotional quotes, lecturers don't need job security or a work-life balance or higher pay because it doesn't take much effort to teach. And anybody can teach, anybody can do it. We can find a lecturer or get a lecturer to teach the courses that we really don't want to teach. Those high enrollment introductory courses that we don't want to teach those, we can just hire somebody to teach them. And that is the sentiment that I get. But then in many conversations with 
chair, I'll tell this one story. So I was talking to a departmental chair, not my department chair, but a departmental chair in my university. And we were talking quite candidly about this type of thing. And he told me that he could just hire anybody to teach, anybody off the street, which were his exact words, to teach. But he needs to offer a whole lot of money and it takes time to find someone of value to do quality research. That's the end. So now I'm back to, unfortunately, for the faculty who teach predominantly, this sentiment is pervasive throughout academia. And I think that that sentiment is the root of the inequality and the misunderstandings between lecturers and either tenured or tenure track professors in academia. Mm. Undervalued. I feel like that's really the word that came out of my head right now. Undervalued, extremely unfortunate. Unfortunately, even if you are in a tenure track position and you notice that you love teaching more than doing research, those faculty that they are doing both research and teaching, they look down at you that, oh, you are not one of us anymore. You are just doing teaching. And I think that there is a lot of value in teaching because we are teaching next generations of researchers or scientists and without understanding those courses they can't just go anywhere they can't come to my lab and do research but unfortunately i guess this i guess biases they exist and we undervalue people that they love teaching we already talked about some of the challenges that lectures face at universities are there anything else besides the bias that we just talked about? Oh, yes, there are. So there are some major issues that instructors and lecturers face at universities. Mostly there are low salaries. There can be really huge teaching workloads. And then there's the expectation that the lecturers or the instructors will teach the classes that the tenured and tenured faculty don't wanna teach are the ones that are undesired. So also then depending upon the institution, there is no pathway for advancement or no real promotion potential. And then of course, no job security. There's no job security. And all of these issues really culminate to take a psychological toll on the instructors. Because as an instructor, you recognize that you're not being valued as well as some other people in the faculty. And that takes a psychological toll as not being valued. But even though we're not being valued, we are very necessary. So Alita, you talk about, I guess, these biases, but are there any opportunities uh, for lecturers throughout their academic career to grow? Yes, there are. So depend, like I said, depending upon your institution and mine is, is one of those. Even if you wanted to remain in the instructional status all your academic career, there are professional development. So many institutions have centers for teaching and learning where they offer workshops, programs, and all sorts of things for faculty who love teaching to learn and get professional development. And these centers usually have programs that are open to all faculty. 
lecturers can also, if they wanted to be able to do a little bit of research on the side, I mean, but really, if you're a lecturer, you're, there's probably real no time to be able to do that. But if you are able to, then you can always write a proposal and get funding. There's always funding available to do some type of research. But the problem with that is with a lecturer trying to do the research is they don't have the time. If they have a high course load, they are trying to put these active learning strategies into their classroom to engage the students, trying to learn that and get your classes together. It, that in itself takes up a lot of time. So there's really no time to try to write proposals to get funding for any sort of research. So with that, are you able to apply for some educational type of grants to help with pedagogy in terms of different ways of teaching or innovations within the classrooms? Yes, you can. But let me explain. So education and pedagogy in the chemistry field is a specific field within itself. It's a specific division of the chemistry field. And just like if I was an analytical or organic or inorganic, I would have to be trained to be able to do research in that field. Unfortunately, that's a misconception. A lot of people feel that, oh, you can just write up something and submit it to a chemical education journal and that'll be totally fine. But that's not necessarily true. That's training that has to be performed and conducted and obtained before you can actually do that. So that's a field in and of itself that I'm not necessarily trained in that field. Wonderfully for us, my department has hired a new faculty, chem ed. So we're, we're trying to get that field going in our department. So there are ways to collaborate with that chem ed person to maybe do some research. And we're exploring those types of things. Throughout your career, you mentioned that you've been there for 17 years. Am I correct? Yes, 17 years. So throughout this period, what accomplishments or contributions did you make to your department, uh, assuming that you were in the same department all these years? Yes. I was in the same department all of these years. So I won't talk about all of my accomplishments because, you know, we only have a limited amount of time in this podcast and that could take some, some time, but I will just name a few of them. First, I am the first black female faculty member in the department. I feel like that's an accomplishment in itself. And then while I've been here, I was voted faculty favorite by students. I was nominated a faculty favorite mentor by the student athletes. I have attended conferences and given scientific presentations on research that I've conducted on carbohydrates and also safety research, believe it or not. I've recruited graduate students to the department, and I also revolutionized the department graduate seminar to give students written feedback on their presentations. Before I made that major adjustment, you know, the students weren't given any feedback on their seminars at all, so they didn't know how they could improve. But by far, by far, 
my, I think that my greatest accomplishment was being the principal investigator of a research experiences for undergraduates program. It was great. It was a great few years. So in by PI, as a lecturer, while I was in lecture, I envisioned the program that I thought that my department could offer because I could see the different types of research that my colleagues did. And I'm like, oh, we can, we've got this instrumentation, we've got these things, we can offer this type of REU program. So I envisioned the program we could offer. I wrote a proposal and I got funding from this federal agency on my first attempt. And there, I won't say that is unheard of, but it's very low percentage of times that that actually happens. So then for three years, I managed all aspects of this research experiences for undergraduates program. And the other thing is that this was the first program of its kind in my department. So there's a saying that when life gives you lemons, then you use them to make lemonade. Alita, you were a lecturer for quite a long time. However, you were successfully promoted in 2016. Tell us how you did that. Yes, I was promoted from assistant professor to associate professor in 2016. And so, yeah, let me tell you how I did that. But first, let me give you just a little bit of background about the department. So for many years in my department, they generally hired part-time lecturers who usually only had a master's degree. But as the student enrollment increased, then the department began to hire faculty who had doctorates to be full-time instructors. And so these faculty gave significant contributions to the department beyond just teaching. You know, one example was my REU program. But even with our significant contributions, there was really no clear process for promotion of these full-time instructors. So when, before I even started thinking about getting promoted, I said, all right, I've, I've got to line up some ducks in a row to try to make things happen and then kind of ensure that it happens. I consulted with and got advice from an associate dean of faculty affairs and the dean of a college. I met with current full-time instructors in other departments that had recently gotten promoted, you know, to see how they did and what they did and how they laid out their dossier. I met with members of my departmental personnel committee to discuss my dossier. And I met with my department chair, who at the time was a real visionary. And he wanted the instructors to be able to get promoted. So he was all in support of this. So collectively then, the instructors, and there were about five of us, we pushed the department for promotion for us. We also had tenured faculty and instructors decided to rewrite our departmental policy because, as I said before, there was nothing in our departmental policy that really, really talked about the promotion of instructional faculty. We also had a supportive departmental personnel committee, and I'm sure there were probably some other moving parts that I'm not aware of, but we had a critical mass also. So a number of instructors went up for promotion at the same time because we were like, okay, they can't say no to all of us and they can't say no to one of us without saying no to all of us. And so we assumed that department would say yes because all of us had been doing great work. So then after many years at the institution, there was almost like a perfect storm 
of moving parts that happened and the time was just right. And these moving parts affected my promotion. So that was kind of the things that I did personally and then the things that the instructors kind of got together and did collectively to try to push the boundaries and push the whole promotion. So yes. one of the questions that I had was, are there any ranks of lecturer status that reflect similarities of assistant, associate, or full professors that you know of? So some institutions do have ranks and they do have ways for instructors or lecturers to be promoted. But this is on an institution by institution basis. And there's different terminology for the faculty. Some places call them lecturers. Some people call them instructors. At my institution, they're called term faculty. But there are some ranks depending on the institution. And I believe there certainly should be ranks for people who teach predominantly. So I believe, as I'm sure you feel throughout this podcast, that there should be paths for promotion and tenure for faculty who have honed their teaching skills and are adept at teaching well. I think that we should consider the whole thing this way. Everyone who has a doctorate learned how to conduct research in graduate school, but hardly any of us learned how to teach, much less teach well. So teaching is a skill set that has to be learned and practiced so that one can become better at it. So let me be clear what I mean when I say teaching. I don't mean standing in front of a class of students and just talking to them for 50 or 75 or, or however many minutes your class is. That's what we call a traditional lecturer. When I say teaching, I mean engaging students in the classroom. I mean finding ways to make them talk to each other, to make them talk to you, to ask questions, to make them ask questions. Instructors need to devise activities about their content so that the students can talk to one another and make the students struggle. So when they struggle, then that's when they actually learn concepts. So when they struggle and apply these concepts, they start to become critical thinkers. And that's what we want. So this engaging students in the classroom is a skill set that instructors learn. And this skill set should really be valued. And this value for these instructors should also be reflected in promotion, in job security, and in better compensation for the faculty who teach well. So Alita, tell us what are your thoughts about lecturers who feel pigeonholed into staying lecturers for the entire time of their career? Wow, thanks, Kim. That's a good question. That's a tough one. It is really, really easy to be pigeonholed as a lecturer or as an instructor. So the answer really depends upon the status of your institution. So if you're at a research institution, then you have to have a research plan ready. If you wanna to try to transition into a research path, you have to have a plan ready. And it would be great if your research plan aligns with a niche that the department needs. So if you wanna remain at that institution where you currently are, then as a lecturer, you need to talk to your department chair and maybe even the dean to see if there's any tenure track research positions available and if they're going to be available soon. 
you got to make your desires known. No one, if, if no one knows, then no one can really help you. And if you really want a tenure track and your institution is, is not willing or unable to offer you a position, then you have to be willing to change. And by change, I mean change institutions to offer you a tenure track position. I can suggest that you check out institutions in the area where you live for positions, of course, before you leave your position. You never just leave someplace without having something else in your back pocket. And especially if your place does not value your teaching skills. However, if you're at a teaching institution, then maybe you should find out the requirements of getting tenure at that institution and see if you're doing some of the things that they already kind of evaluate for tenure. And if you're doing those things, you can talk and promote yourself and probably even get into a tenure track there. Dr. Poe, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, Kim, Panya, Lucy, thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun and so informative and just, just yes, thank you so much. It's, it's been great to be here. So thanks for coming. You have provided an insightful discussion about the status of lecturers in the academy. We hope that you've given everyone some food for thought that will allow them to engage lecturers and our tenured and tenure track faculty on topics of the lecturer status. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. This episode is sponsored by DeGreiter and its portfolio in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. For students and researchers in mathematics, DeGreiter's 2022 catalog is now available at thisacademiclife.org. You can follow us on Facebook and listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. If you're interested in being a sponsor, then please contact us at sponsor at thisacademiclife.org. Join us next time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of this academic life.